0: Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Brazil, Peru, Finland, and a see you in hell that is the celebration of a dead fascist from the United Kingdom. I'm going to start out with the news that probably you knew I was going to start out with. Donald Trump, former president of the United States, has been indicted with some felonies. What's happened is this a grand jury, which is a jury that meets in the United States to determine what charges a person will be accused of. So this grand jury in Manhattan has accused him of 34 felony counts of business fraud. The actual trial to determine whether he is guilty or innocent of these crimes will be probably in several months. But, you know, given the fact that Trump is a billionaire, it could be uh, much longer than that, right? Like he has the possibility of doing a bunch of appeals and crap like that. Donald Trump, of course, has pled not guilty after he was accused of these crimes. To put the crimes simply, the claim is that Donald Trump and his offices paid Stormy Daniels, a former sex worker and porn star, $130,000 not to talk about their alleged affair. Donald Trump denies that this affair occurred. Now, this is not illegal. It is not illegal to pay somebody to not talk about something that is legal in the United States. The crime that Donald Trump has been accused of, is for listing this money, this hush money, as a legal fee for Michael Cohen, an attorney hired by Donald Trump and the lawyer who actually did the paying, the lawyer lawyer who actually paid Stormy Daniels this hush money. So the charges aren't for covering up this affair. The charges are for falsifying business records. This is the lowest category of felony in New York state, which is the state where these charges are being brought and it is likely to result in a fine rather than just jail time. However, it is possible that Trump could see some jail time as a result of this, but, you know, unfortunately, don't hold your breath. Donald Trump has, of course, used the opportunity of this accusation to raise a whole bunch of money in his defense. He saw a big poll bump in his fight against Ron DeSantis for the Republican nomination immediately after this indictment really came to light. And he has also been using it for a big media blitz to get out his narrative that, you know, the establishment is against him and that the Democrats are pursuing some sort of a witch hunt and that the, you know, all of the charges are fake and that they're exploiting him and that they're over-exaggerating what's happening, right? They're also using the opportunity to dox the Manhattan DA's daughter. So this is the district attorney, of Manhattan, who has shepherded this case through the grand jury process. His daughter works for the Democratic Party. She is an operative for the Democratic Party. She's like a data scientist. And she did happen to work on various Democratic campaigns, including the campaign of Donald Trump's one-time opponent, Joe Biden, the current president of the United States. The Republicans are, of course, running with this and saying that, like, oh, this is evidence that this is some sort of, like, inside job or something, as if it were, like, a secret that in New York, DAs are elected... And that this guy's a Democrat, I don't know, like, that's not really a secret. Anyway, they have posted the pictures of this person, you know, this person who's completely uninvolved with these proceedings, in an attempt to make her life and the life of her father, the district attorney in Manhattan, more difficult. Obviously, this story will have reverberations, not just for the next several months or years, but possibly for the rest of the history of the United States, because this is the first time ever that a former president of the United States has been charged with a crime. Of course, presidents of the Confederacy have been charged with crimes, but not the United States itself. Moving on to other news in the United States, there has been a big and extremely successful drug raid on an extremely large prison gang in the United States, a white supremacist prison gang. This is the Aryan Family, a prison gang that operated in Washington and Arizona members of the Aryan family have been accused of 24 crimes, 24 federal arrests for the distribution of fentanyl and meth, and over 150 guns were seized in the raid. Further in the United States and also in drug trafficking in the United States, the executive director of the San Jose Police Officers Association has been charged with fentanyl smuggling. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what a police officers association is, it sort of masquerades as a labor union but is in fact the propaganda wing of the police in the United States. Sometimes these are called sergeants benevolent associations. Sometimes they're called police officers associations. In this case, they are like major parts of conservative and right-wing political apparatuses in a lot of major cities and counties in the United States. And in this case, the executive director of this organization, her name is Segovia, was using her office to order opioids and distribute them in San Jose. She was ordering these opioids from foreign countries like Hong Kong and India and distributing them in California and other states. Moving on to Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, the other sort of erstwhile American right-wing president, has come back to his country. He returned to Brazil on March 30th after three months spending time in Florida. There, upon his return to Brazil, he met with a bunch of supporters, although there were also major security issues at his return events. His intention is to set himself up as the leader of the opposition to Lula, the president that he lost his presidential race to, although much like Donald Trump, he is also facing multiple ongoing investigations about criminal acts that he committed both as a member of Congress and later as a president of Brazil. Now, Brazil is a little bit different from the United States. It is entirely possible that Jair Bolsonaro will end up like in jail during these investigations. Brazilian prosecutors are not going to pull any punches in a way that like, you know, United States prosecutors have been wearing silk gloves to deal with Trump thus far. Moving on to Peru, an organization called the Foro de Madrid, the Madrid Forum, has been meeting in Peru. This is a meeting of dozens of right-wing leaders throughout Latin America and Spain. So these are members of right-wing parties in countries like Chile, Colombia, and Spain. And their goal in Peru is to try to prevent Peru from pursuing new elections. Peru is experiencing an ongoing political crisis in the wake of the forced resignation of a sort of quasi-authoritarian leader that they elected last year. The allegation of the Madrid Forum is that communists are going to take advantage of any new elections that are held in Peru, and that they must therefore be prevented. The Madrid Forum is itself a network of right-wing legislators and political actors which are deeply connected to the Vox Party, Spain's leading right-wing political party today. The Madrid Forum has been organizing internationally, particularly in Latin America, for years, and it's trying to set itself up as a sort of like right-wing international organization. So more on them as they continue to grow in power. Finally, moving on to Finland, the Conservatives have won their election in Finland. This is interestingly at exactly the same time that Finland was finally admitted to NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, a treaty, a defensive pact that was organized by the United States and some of its European allies in order to supposedly defend themselves against the Soviet Union, more so like in order to be a block of nuclear powers against the Soviets during the Cold War. So the Conservative Party has won in Finland and they are now the leading party. This party is called the National Coalition Party, and that's particularly interesting because they're a center-right party and they still need to develop a coalition. They only won about 20% of the votes. They only won about 20% of the seats in the Finnish Parliament. The next biggest parliament is the right-wing Finns party, which is a significantly more right-wing party than the National Coalition party, although they also won only about 20% of the seats. The third biggest party in Finland today was the former governing party, the Liberal Democratic Party, and so they are now out of power. Finally going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history, we got a doozy this week. We're talking about Margaret Thatcher, famous conservative leader of the United Kingdom and first female prime minister of that country. Margaret Thatcher was born Margaret Roberts in 1925 in a smallish town in the east of England. Her father, Mr. Roberts, was a Methodist minister who also served as the local mayor of their town for a couple of years. Young Margaret Roberts did very well in school, volunteered during World War II, and eventually won a scholarship to go to Oxford to pursue a degree in chemistry. At Oxford, she did pursue and got her degree in chemistry, and also became directly involved in conservative politics. Her involvement in politics continued after college as she became a member and leader of various conservative clubs, including a lot of conservative clubs that were about, like, you know, organizing extreme grassroots right-wing opposition to the conservative mainstream in the 1940s. In 1950, she ran for parliament for the first time and lost. However, shortly after this loss, she met her soon-to-be husband, Dennis Thatcher, who helped her through pursuing a law degree. She stood for parliament a couple more times, but finally made it in in 1959 and remained in parliament essentially until her death. She very quickly became what is known in the United Kingdom as a front bench MP, meaning that she was influential and a spokesperson for the Conservative Party rather than a backbench MP, somebody who sits in the back of the room and doesn't really get to talk or be influential or do anything. Throughout the early part of her career in Parliament, the Conservatives went in and out of power in the mid-century of the 20th century. Eventually, when the Conservatives were out of power, she got a her big like ticket to actual power in the Conservative Party as a member of the Shadow Cabinet. Eventually, when the Conservatives returned to power, she became the Secretary of Education. And her career there was a foreboding of what her eventual career as Prime Minister would be. It was all about cutting spending, cutting spending on education. Specifically, she cut the free milk program in the United Kingdom. In 1975, the conservatives were out of power and she won a vote to be the leader of the opposition. She became the leader of the conservative party, so the the shadow prime minister, essentially. She spent this time moving the conservatives in the direction of neoliberalism, promoting the economic ideologies of people like Hayek, Milton Friedman, etc. She was also an extremely staunch anti-communist. Her nickname, the Iron Lady, in fact, comes from a Soviet newspaper, a Soviet newspaper that was reacting to one of her staunch anti-communist and specifically anti-Soviet speeches from 1976 when she was not yet prime minister. English language newspapers picked up on this coverage and it got back to her and she liked it. She liked being called the Iron Lady and that was a nickname that she continued to have throughout the rest of her life. Eventually there were new parliamentary elections in 1979 and the conservatives won. She thus became the first female prime minister in the history of the United Kingdom. She remained in that position until 1990, an extremely long tenure. She brought in some of the more racist voters from the National Front. That's one of the ways that the conservatives won in 1979. And she made extreme changes to the budgets of the United Kingdom. Massive spending increases on law and order and also on health care, which she couldn't really touch. She couldn't really defend healthcare; It was much, much, much too popular. But the biggest cuts were to housing and industry spending. This resulted in massive deindustrialization in England, especially in parts of England that are far away from London, so the north and the east, the part of England that she is actually from. She also engaged in a massive privatization campaign in the United Kingdom, as in selling previously national industries and national property to private companies. She also made many and prolonged attacks on trade unions. And I don't just mean attacks like on their legal standing or on their independence. I mean like sending in mounted police to attack, you know, strikers and stuff like that. shock doctrine spending bills caused massive economic upheavals at the very beginning of her turn, but those eventually stabilized and gained the conservatives a lot of popularity. However, Thatcher herself was never a particularly popular figure nationally, But because prime ministers aren't decided by a national vote, this didn't really bother her and it didn't really affect her career all that much. Her own constituents liked her and voted her in. The Conservative Party liked her and voted her in. And that's how she stayed the prime minister. She also engaged in the United Kingdom's biggest international conflict since, you know, well, a long time, which was the Falklands-Malvinas War in the early 1980s, the Falklands-Malvinas War with Argentina, with the military dictatorship in Argentina. This was a victory for Thatcher and also for the United Kingdom in general, and it won her a lot of sort of, you know, law and order points for people, you know, people who vote on that basis. She eventually lost an internal vote of leadership in the Conservative Party in 1990. You know, her popularity in the party fell, and John Major became the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. She remained in Parliament in the House of Commons as a backbencher until 1992, But then she got a life peerage, which means that she was a member of the House of Lords and technically a baroness because of her time as a prime minister. She remained in the House of Lords until her death after years of declining health. And she died of a stroke this week in history, the 8th of April, 2013. So, Margaret Thatcher, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. You can check out my Patreon at slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. Patreon is how you can help me keep the lights on here. You know, it helps pay for hosting costs, things like that. 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com, also spelled out and all one word, is where you can reach me on Gmail. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H I S T of the Right, and Fascism 15. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.